Hashtag murder may contain explicit and disturbing material and may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. Hashtag murder. Woo-hoo-hoo. I'm Scar. I'm Alex. And we're millennials who love murder. And sleeping in. Oh, God. <laughs> uh, so Alex woke me up this morning. He did. Uh, upon her arrival, because I was still sleeping because I didn't go to bed until like 3 a.m. Yeah. She got here at 9. <laughs> she did tell me to be here at 9. I did. And I came bearing biscuits. Uh, she did. Oh, man, which is very sweet. Uh, I do appreciate it. And so did Dustin, because he was a little hungover. I had a feeling that he <laughs> was going to need biscuits, so I just uh, bought him some biscuits. Yeah, it was a long day. It was a long day yesterday. And I didn't get off work until midnight, so I was jazzed. Yeah. I was not going to sleep as soon as I got home. That wasn't happening. Oh, did you find man. your cargo pants? I did. Yeah. They remind me of um, my army pants. Oh. I need a belt. I was going to ask you if you were like a uh, Kim Possible. They're little Kim possible <laughs> Yeah, they're great. Uh, they, oh, they look just like that. Oh, like that? Yep. Cool. Uh, I got two pairs. Went to REI out in Mount Pete. Turns out they don't have to be khaki khaki. They just have to be sporty. Oh. Which is good. Sport mode. Yes. Um, so yeah, I got a couple sport pants and some shorts and uh, yeah, loving the new job. Cool. Love it. It's great. Um, how was your weekend? I actually have a fun story for you. Uh, oh. <laughs> okay. I was on the way here, which reminded me to tell this story. Okay. So I was on the way here fast car came on my spotify and i was like oh we should tell that story on the podcast because <laughs> we've already told or alex told it once but it got cut it was in an episode that didn't make it out <laughs> i'll let you tell it so scar and i were at the frothy uh frothy beard on sam Ritt in west ashley for all you charleston <laughs> listeners for i can't remember if it was regular trivia or music trivia i think it was music bingo or but whatever. uh fast car came on and they're like oh name the artist and i was like oh it's tracy chapman that's easy scar's like no i think a man sings that song and i was like no it's literally like a it's a black kind of butchy lesbian she's like no i was like y- yes scar i thought it was a white man a white man i thought a white man sang fast car yeah, no. Oh, and, um, I'm so sorry, Tracy. Long story short, I was right and Scarlet was wrong. <laughs> yeah. uh, as per usual. Oh, man. But I thought for sure that was a white guy. I don't no, know. No. Don't know what it was, but I not with white everything man. in me. Not a white man. <laughs> uh, speaking of white men, is that, uh, are we having a, a, oh, a white man? We got a white man. It's always a white man. <laughs> That's true. Oh, that's very true. This is going to be an Alex story. Yes. And I'm I'm ready to hear it. Uh, this I'm, man's... He's I'm bananas. <laughs> he's bananas. I know one fact from this story, and I'm not going to say it, but I only know one thing from this story. What is the story fact? About the mannequins. Oh, the ma- oh okay. <laughs> well, guys... I don't want to ruin it. Listen okay. out for mannequins. Yeah. But that's the only thing I know from this story, so I'm excited to hear the rest of it. Well, we're going to tell you the story. Well, I'm going to tell you the story, and Scarlett's <laughs> going to laugh a lot. Yeah, about... I'm still sleeping. Yep. <laughs> Herbert, Herbert, is it Herbert or Herbert, 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 (laughs) Richard, Baumeister, Herbert, this is uh, Baumeister, yep, he is disgusting, and he was born April 7th, 1947, in Indianapolis, Indiana, he's an Aries, ooh, Indiana, yeah, he is an Aries, to the tuck, it's all those Midwest fuckheads, (laughs) they're all broken, Uh, 
Man, man. Okay, let's do it. Uh, but our boy uh, was the oldest child of four siblings, born okay. to Her- Herbert and Elizabeth Baumeister. Oh. Herb's father was an anesthesiologist, mm-hmm. and after the fourth sibling was born, they moved to a more affluent neighborhood in Indianapolis called Washington Township. Oh, fancy. Okay. He actually, like, all around seemed to be, like, a relatively normal child, but then started showing some signs of antisocial behavior once oh. he got a little older, like in that teenage years. Okay. Preteen teenager. Which is whenever... Uh, uh, the angst comes out. Yeah. That's whenever mental illness typically hits. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, antisocial behavior has a number of symptoms, the main ones being a disregard for others' feelings or safety, aggression, violence, and it can affect a child's temperament and problem-solving skills. So it just, like, increases the angst. Yeah, all right. Uh, He became overly obsessed with strange and vile things and developed a very dark sense of humor. Same. Yeah. (laughs) I don't think you killed anybody, though. Uh, No, not that I can recall. (laughs) (laughs) By the time he reached school, he was playing with dead animals. Oh. And he even put a dead crow in his teacher's desk. Uh, Okay. He also supposedly, this has never been confirmed, Confirmed, but I can imagine he probably did this. Uh, he urinated on that same teacher's desk. Oh, all right. great. Yeah, he just <laughs> pissed all over it. Great. Uh, his odd and dark behavior scared his peers. Yeah. Shocking. And they started to distance themselves from Herb. And he began acting out in class, misbehaving, and being like completely volatile when interacting with his teachers and other students. Okay. All right. Yep. Uh, eventually, the school reached out to Herb's parents with their concerns, and they also had noticed the strange behavior coming from their son. So, uh, they're kind of starting to see it at home, too. Okay. Let me guess. They didn't do anything about it. Uh, they uh, they made a very poor attempt. Okay. All right. Yep. This led to the parents sending Herb out for psychological evaluation. Oh, okay. Which led him to being diagnosed with multi... Led him to being diagnosed with multiple personality disorder and schizophrenia. Oh, all right. I feel like that's really young to be diagnosed diagnosed with schizophrenia though because i don't think that hits until you like you're like late 20s late 20s early 30s yeah it's a little young so multiple personality disorder or mpd is now more commonly known as dissociative identity disorder and is characterized by the presence of two or more distinct personality states and is typically a trauma response as a way to help a person forget what they've gone through and repress those memories okay that checks out yeah so basically he would like adapt one of his other personalities when he was like feeling scared or like wanting to forget the trauma okay So, schizophrenia is a disorder that affects a person's ability to think, feel, and behave clearly. It can often involve delusions, hallucinations, unusual physical behavior, and disorganized thinking and speech. Okay. I've had a lot of schizophrenic murderers, I just noticed. Yeah, yeah. I think this is like the third time I've covered one. It's, uh, well, I mean, not everybody who has schizophrenia is going to be violent. No, no, absolutely not. If it's mixed with other mental illnesses, I feel like it's not a good, that's a bad combination. Especially if you're not getting actual help for it, because he didn't get any formal treatment for the diagnosis. Oh, yeah. They're like, like, well, you've got it, but we're not going to do anything. Yeah, like, that's great. (laughs) Um, Glad glad we could tell you what your problem is, but we can't help you. Here's a cookie. Yeah. (laughs) So he was actually able to maintain his grades in school, but continued to struggle socially with his peers. Uh, Herb was in all of the, quote, popular kids at school, which was mainly the football team, cheerleaders, you know, the type. And he tried multiple times to get in with the group, but was never successful. He didn't want to be in any other groups but that one. So he chose to go through high school alone instead. Uh, So it was popularity or nothing? Yeah. He's like, he's like, I want it all or I don't want any of it. Oh, okay. (laughs) Which is interesting. That's kind of how Robert Hansen was. Very similar. Yeah. Okay. So in 1965, he attended Indiana University for one semester and dropped out. Okay. 
He wasn't able to fit in with his peers and was an outcast yet again. He did end up returning two years later in 1967 after his father encouraged him to try again and study anatomy, but he dropped out again before the semester had even ended. Hmm. But he did meet his future wife, Juliana Sater here. Juliana was a high school journalism teacher and was going to IU part-time. Oh, Juliana. I like that. It's a very nice name. Very beautiful. Okay. So Herb thought he'd found his match in Julie and they both had a love for entrepreneurship entrepreneurship and wanted to own their own business one day and they were both conservative politically which is gross but yeah (laughs) but that's uh you know he finally kind of found somebody he can be with and okay was happy sure yeah so herb and julie married in 1971 and six months into the marriage herb's father had him committed to a mental institution oh but it's not known why there's no Uh, i couldn't find anything on why he actually committed him what Yeah, he stayed in the institution for two months. However, this did not hurt the marriage, and Julie was happy and in love with Herb and was not bothered by his unusual behavior. Oh, okay. Yeah, love is blind, you know? Evidently so. There's, what, four seasons of that show on fucking Netflix. Oh, God, this show is so stupid. It is fucking stupid. And (laughs) Whitney loves that show. She loves trash TV. I do, too. But it's just, it's so bad. These people are delusional. <laughs> they, they pick the, I'm pretty sure whenever they, like, are going through everybody's applications, they just pick the most volatile, insane people. And they're like, let's put them all in the same room. Yeah, because they're going to make the best TV. not tell them what they look like. So, <laughs> yeah. uh, after being released from the institution, uh, Herb started a job at the Indianapolis Star, which oh. was one of the local newspapers. Okay. Herb's father pulled some strings to get him the job there, and he started in as an entry-level position as a copy boy. All right. Which is essentially like a bitch errand boy for the reporters. Oh, okay. So he would, like, run their errands, get their mail, coffee, all that shit. Oh. However, Herb was striving to get some recognition from his father, and he was excited to do the job and do it well. Okay. He's trying to make Daddy like proud. His dad is um, pretty invested in him. I, it seems like he likes him. I, well, he's the oldest or kid, trying. too, so I feel like he's like, wants him to be successful and, like, carry on the family name and Carry all on that Baumeister name. Yep. Okay. Uh, right. And I think he's just, you know, he probably felt some guilt for not actually getting him any, like, kind of mental help when he was a teenager, which yeah. is probably why he had to get committed later. So maybe that's what it was. Okay. All so right. He was a little overeager for recognition, though, um, especially from the leadership at the paper. And he would be, like, a brown noser and annoying as fuck. Okay. He continued to obsess over fitting in with his peers at the newspaper since he's never really fit in or become accepted anywhere besides his wife. Oh. He eventually became butthurt that he wasn't getting the recognition he desired from his boss. Uh, he still wasn't fitting in with his peers, so he leaves his job there and starts a job with the Bureau of Motor Vehicles. Oh, the DMV. The DMV, yes. Okay. But he kind of takes like a complete 180 at the DMV. So like, whereas at the newspaper, he was extremely enthusiastic and excited. Here, he was like bossy and assertive with his peers, which is interesting. He would lash out at them for seemingly no reason at all. And he would act the way he thought a supervisor would act. Okay. So he was a bossy little shit. Yep. Act your wage. Yeah. (laughs) He's not acting his wage. No, not at all. Okay. Uh, and just like every other social situation Herb has been in, he still didn't fit in with his peers, and he con- they considered him an oddball. Yeah. Uh, he was considered erratic and would constantly overstep his boundaries in the workplace. Uh, there was one year he sent a Christmas card with himself and another guy in drag, uh, which I would what? I would have found, like, amazing. Yeah. But for the times it, we were in, it was not seen yeah. that way. Because it's the 70s. Early 70s. <laughs> Um, after this, so uh, combined with his off-putting behavior and some of his peers, uh, he they thought he was a closeted homosexual. Okay. And that rumor floated around fairly quick. Huh. 
Huh. Yeah, you can't be pretending to be gay in the 70s. No. No, can't be doing that. Um, is there a photo of this? I couldn't find one. Oh. I searched so hard, and yeah, I could not find shoot. the fucking Christmas card. Um, so, even That's though... fun, though. I like that. I like it. Uh, his peers didn't, but I would have enjoyed it. Yeah. Uh, so, even though his peers couldn't stand him, he was still a really hard worker and very ambitious, so he was promoted to program director after working there for 10 years. Whoa, he stayed there for 10 years. Mm-hmm. All right. That's impressive. Uh, this quickly comes to an end, though, because oh. uh, <laughs> after working in his newly promoted position for less than a year, he was fired after he year on a letter that was addressed to the governor at the time, Robert D. Orr. Uh, okay. He just loves to piss on shit. He worked there for 10 years? And uh-huh. Then 10 years, got to pr- gets promoted, <laughs> and then gets fi- basically fired less than a year after getting promoted because he peed on the governor's letter. A letter. Okay. Yep. Huh. So, after being married for nine years, the Baumeisters started their family. Hey, that's a long time. That's, that's a, a really long time. time. Probably because he's maybe a closeted homosexual. Uh, uh, uh. Mm, yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah, it's all coming together. All right. So, uh, their first daughter, Marie, was born in 1979, Eric in 1981, and their third and final child, Emily, in 1984. Okay. Julie had quit her job to be a stay-at-home mom with the kids, uh, but returned to work shortly after Herb was fired from the DMV since he was having a hard time finding another job. Herb then became the primary parent and stayed home with the kids while Julie worked. Okay. Daddy daycare. Yeah. They're just trying to figure out how they're going to take care of these three kids. Yeah. Because, okay. you know, Herb is a fucking weirdo and can't get a job. Yeah. Uh, right. So, without having a job, Herb has all the time in the world to do what he wants, so he begins drinking heavily and hanging out at gay bars. Oh, so that was some foreshadowing. Yes. Okie dokie. All right. So, in 1985, about a year after their third child was born, Herb was arrested for a hit and run while driving drunk. Oh, great. He's a real winner here. Yeah. Uh, All he received for this was like a slap on the wrist, but then six months later, he was charged with stealing a friend's car and conspiracy to commit theft, but he ends up getting off those charges as well. Oh, okay. what happens when you're a white man. Yeah, I didn't mean to do it. I was just hammered. Uh, oh, that's fine. fine. That's fine. It's fine. Yeah, do whatever you want, kiddo. Fucko. Uh, <laughs> stupid. <laughs> While okay. in between jobs, Herb picks up a job working at a thrift store. Oh, fun. At first... I would love that. Oh, I mean, yes, you would. As soon but as you'd come people... home with so much shit. <laughs> I was going to say, if it was one where, like, people can, like, drop shit off or, like, sell to you, I would be purchasing it before it even hits the store. Yeah. <laughs> You're like, uh, dibs. Yeah, okay. Um, at first, he didn't really like this job and thought he was above it. But he actually ends up really enjoying the job later and dedicates a lot of his time working to actually learning the ins and outs of the business. Oh, okay. During this time as well, his uh, father actually passes away. So huh. in 1988, he and the wife, he borrowed $4,000 from his mom, which is equivalent to about like ten grand now. Oh, okay. And with that cash, they opened up a store called Save-A-Lot. Oh, like the like the grocery? No, like... well, not down, down here. It's different. Up there, it was kind of like a Goodwill. Oh, okay. But uh, they stocked it up with gently used clothing, furniture, and other home goods. It's like a, you know, much nicer Goodwill. Oh, that's fun. Okay. I like that. And they actually donated a percentage of the profits to the Children's Bureau of Indianapolis as well. Huh. Which is really cool. Yeah, that's nice yep. and sweet and caring. Mm-hmm. And he he's killing the thrift store business, so he's like, you know what? I'm going to make my own profits. He's killing the thrift store business. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Okay. So. Uh, all right. Tell me more. Business is booming, and they actually opened up a second location after having the first one go so well. In, in the first year. Oh, wow. So first year, first store, amazing. So okay. like, you know what? Let's make another one. Interesting. All right. 
1991, the family makes their move to their dream home called Fox Hollow Farms. I love that. Isn't it a cool name? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Which is an 18-acre horse ranch yeah. in an upscale area called Westfield, which was a suburb outside of Indianapolis. Okay. The house, like, I, I looked it up on, like, Zillow. It's actually, like, a fucking mini mansion, and it had a stable and indoor pool. What? From their yeah. thrift store business? From their thrift store business. Should... We're not opening a thrift <laughs> store. No. Should we be doing that? <laughs> I want a ranch with horses. Wait, horses? Horses. Yeah. yeah. I don't know if they actually had horses, but it was a horse ranch. Oh, uh, okay. Mm-hmm. Um, hmm, that's fun. So, right. Herb went from being a fucking weirdo outcast, living paycheck to paycheck, to a well-respected businessman that donated to charities. All right. Get it, Herb. Um, unfortunately, business may have been moving, but the marriage was not all rainbows and unicorns. Oh, okay. uh, Herb often yelled and screamed at his wife and treated her like she was a regular employee instead of an equal partner in their business venture. Ooh, that would not fly with me. Uh, no. I think Whitney would murder me. <laughs> uh, you so. could say you had that bottle of antifreeze in the... Oh, antifree. <laughs> antifree. We do. In your laundry room. Uh, oh, but man. she doesn't listen to the pod, so she has no idea. Uh, <laughs> Julie, in order to kind of make things a little more civil at work, decided to let Herb make all the business decisions, but it ended up hurting their marriage, like, even more. Uh, he just kind of used this power to continually be a dick. Um, so they continued to argue constantly and they even separated a few times over the following years, like back and forth together or not, you know, blah, blah, blah. blah. When Julie would leave, she would typically go and stay with Herb's mother in Lake Wawasee and take the kids with her. Wawasi. Wawasi. I like that. Okay. Uh, so things aren't going super hot at the Baumeister house. No, he's got like a bad temper and lashes out at her all the time. Not not great. Okay. So the stores had a great reputation for being pristine, organized, and clean. All right. But it was not the same at home. Their house was a fucking hot mess. It was disorganized, dirty, and the grounds outside were always like overgrown and like grass and weeds. And like that's 18 acres. You got to take care of it yeah. or hire somebody to take care of it because that's a lot. Of, that's a lot of grass to mow. Yeah, you can't be buying land and then just let it sit just, there. Just sit there, yeah. Yeah, Dustin would not stand for that. Oh, no. We've seen <laughs> his Japanese maples. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. Okay. But uh, Herb kept the pool house clean oh, and the bar okay. inside well stocked at all times. Hey, that's the one area that I would definitely Herb. make sure was clean. Clean and well stocked. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So did uh, Herb. He loved okay. having his extracurricular activities in the pool house. Yeah, sure. It had a ton of extravagant decor, including some mannequins. <laughs> That he would dress and position to make it look like they were at a fancy pool party. <laughs> so, so fucking weird. Okay, real quick. Uh, my girlfriend, Shelby. I can't remember whose house this is, but we go to somebody's house and just like party, hang out, drink. Yeah. Uh, I think there was a pool. I don't fucking know. I can't remember. But their neighbor, whoever's house this was, their neighbor had mannequins around their yard. It's just weird. And they were in like... They dressed him in like Hawaiian shirts. And, and like so <laughs> fucking weird. <laughs> they were in various positions and like one was fishing, another one was wearing like a backpack. This like is so weird. Like <laughs> these are not like yard gnomes. Like, what are you doing? Full size mannequins. I thought that was so strange. Mannequins are just weird. Like, why do you have them at your house? <laughs> I don't know. Oh man. Okay. That's really funny. All right. Yep. Carry on. Uh in nineteen ninety four, year of my birth. Eric. The year of our Lord. The year of the year of our Lord, me. <laughs> Eric, the middle child, was playing outside in the wooded area behind the house, and he found a partially buried skeleton. What? Oh, yeah. (laughs) He freaks the fuck out. 
shows Julie, mom, who then shows Herb. Yeah. And there was a completely rational explanation for it. Oh, I'd love to hear it. Oh, I got you. Oh, Lord. So Herb Sr. had apparently kept used skeletons during his research periods, and he had found it in the garage and decided to bury it in the backyard. His dad? His dad, uh, so Herb Sr. used to keep them. Herb found it in the garage. Or no, not mannequins. Skeletons. Skeletons. Skeletons, yes, for research, apparently. Okay. And then Herb found it in the garage, and he's like, oh, I guess I gotta bury this. I'm gonna bury it. Yeah, that's not bullshit, right? I'm gonna bury the skeleton that I found in my garage. Yep. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Julie believed him. I don't actually know if she believed him or if she was just like, I don't want to know what the real reason is for this, you fucking weirdo. Um, she probably didn't think her husband was capable of murder. Yeah. Like, who the fuck would? Oh, man. Okay. Uh, so, shortly after this, uh, the second sa- Save-A-Lot location opened, and the business took a downturn in sales, and Herb started drinking heavily again and acting like an asshole to both customers and his employees. Oh. The state of the stores took a downturn as well, and they started to look messy and not well-kept. Ah. Uh, okay. Yep. And the, the downhill slide. Yep. Like oh. the Rivers Avenue Goodwill. <laughs> <laughs> Was that ever nice? No, I don't think so. <laughs> yeah. uh, during the night hours, Herb would sneak out to gay bars, get plastered, and then come back home and go to the pool house where he would cry and cry about his business continuing to struggle and his failing marriage. Oh, Herb, this is not the solution, my man. Uh, so yeah, Herb is, instead of actually doing something to fix his marriage and business, he's like, you know what, I'm just going to get drunk and cry about it. He's going to drink about it. Yep. All right. So now while all okay. this is going on, there's a private investigator... Which is my fucking dream job. That would be the best job ever. Yeah. Uh, looking into several missing persons cases. Okay. Yep. Several missing persons. Several. All multiple. Right. Oh, so, uh, Herb has no idea this is going on. Okay. So, this private investigator was named Virgil Vandegrift. Whoa. It's a fucking cool <laughs> name, isn't it? That's a great name. Virgil Vandegrift. Yep. Okay. He opened his PI firm in 1977, specializing in missing persons cases. Oh, right. He was a retired Marion County Sheriff and was well-respected and liked among his peers there. Okay. So, in June 1994, the mother of Alan Broussard contacted Vandegrift's PI firm claiming her son was missing. Okay. So, Alan's mother last saw her son when he was headed out to a gay bar called Brothers to meet his partner and he never returned home. Oh, boy. Yep. All right. We hear this way too often. Yeah, I feel like this isn't going to end well for old Alan. No. Uh, a week later, Vandegrift gets another call from a 32-year-old Roger Goodlett's mother who also said her son was missing. Oh. Roger had left his parents' home, headed to a gay bar in downtown Indianapolis, but never arrived. Uh, so we got the same, same situation. Same, similar situation. So, Broussard and Goodlett appeared to live similar lives, they even looked alike, oh. and were roughly the same age, and had apparently vanished while en route to a gay bar. Oh boy. Alright. So, take this. Vandegrift started uh, by distributing missing flyers with the boys' descriptions and photos to gay bars in the surrounding areas and questioning people on if they had seen the boys or anything suspicioning. Seen the boys? <laughs> any, anything suspicious happening the night of the disappearances. He interviewed the boys' family members, close friends, and several regular patrons of the bars that the boys were spotted at. Okay. Uh, Vandegrift interviewed one witness from the bar who stated that he saw Roger Goodlett enter a blue vehicle with Ohio plates the night of his disappearance. Oh. He's hitting the pavement, and he's knocking on doors. He's doing good. Yeah. I he's, like 
The Verge. Love well, they, uh, you know, like if you're a, you know, young man in your 30s and you seemingly disappear and there's no, like, you, there's no, like, can't see a cause for it or like, you, they, cops yeah. are like brushing it off, like, oh, maybe he just ran away because he's gay and wanted to go somewhere else that's more accepting of his culture. Uh, okay. Is kind of what they're doing. All right. So, but not Verge. No. He's on it. He's Verge on is on it. Yeah. Okay. So, Vandegrift had also received a call from a magazine publisher that multiple gay men had disappeared from Indianapolis over the last several years. Years? Years. Oh my. Oh yep. my. Okay. I don't know how this wasn't like in the new, whatever. <laughs> Uh, so, this news alarmed Vandegrift and worried that he maybe chased a serial killer. Yeah. He took his concerns to the police department, but was quickly shunted away, since at this point in time, disappearing gay men were not a high priority for the department. Yeah. We only care about straight white men. Yeah. And Girls. blonde women. And blonde women. <laughs> the only ones we care about. Anybody else can go fuck off. Yep. <laughs> Evidently. The police oh, seemed to stupid. assume that the men had left willingly to pursue their outlandish gay lifestyles away from their families. <laughs> They're going to go live in the hills and oh, no. skip and sing and mm-hmm. <laughs> fucking wear speedos <laughs> banana hammocks yeah because uh, that's all gay people do yes <laughs> that's all they do <laughs> we're just trying to convert everybody with our gay agenda yeah <laughs> you and your damn gay, gay agenda, agenda. Oh, Jesus. So, Dumb. while Vandegrift continued his investigations into the two missing gay men, he also discovered that there was another ongoing investigation in Ohio for the murders of multiple gay men. Okay. So, he's in, he's in two states. Two Indiana states and, and two seemingly kind of different investigations. But oh, they're linked. Okay. Or he thinks that they may be linked. Yeah. The right. bodies had been dumped on I-70 between 1989 and mid-1990 and were known to the media as the I-70 murders. Oh. And four of those victims had actually been from Indianapolis which is what flagged Vandegrift to be like huh let me look into that maybe it's connected to my two guys here oh interesting Mm mm-hmm so, a few weeks after Vandegrift had distributed all the flyers to the gay bars, he got a call from a man claiming to have spent time with the unsub who was responsible for Roger Goodlett's disappearance. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. This man claimed he went to the police and FBI, but neither took him seriously, which I don't know if I buy. But we'll, What's we'll just... the FBI? How do you, uh, once uh, again, how do you uh, contact the FBI? Uh, <laughs> did he get the number from Mama Francie? Yeah. <laughs> 1-800-FBI one, one man. Yeah. What? Uh, so Vandegrift set up a few interviews with this guy and this was what came out it's kind of interesting okay so unknown man that reached out we're gonna call John because he didn't want his name public okay Uh, he was hanging out at the gay bar when he saw another guy that seemed a little too intrigued about the missing poster for Roger Goodlett John said the guy was looking really suspicious and like nervous and thought he might have more information about Roger so he walked over to this guy and starts making conversation okay this guy is friends with Roger or like knew him from the bars like they hung out at the bars all the time okay so a rogue man said his name was Brian Smart and that he was a landscaper from Ohio John tried to bring up his friend Roger in the conversation but uh quote Brian avoided the topic oh Brian is herb okay yeah oh Jesus Yes, Brian is a herb. <laughs> okay. He's just making up a name. Yes. All right. I got you. I'm as, the, as the night goes on, Brian invites John over to the house he's staying at for a late night swim. And he goes, even though he thinks he is possibly a murderer? Yeah, and killed his friend. Yeah. Uh, oh, I didn't say John was okay. smart. <laughs> okay. Uh, so he tells John that he's staying there temporarily while doing some landscaping for the owners who were out of town. But it's his house. Yeah, but John doesn't know that. <laughs> what? That's a weird Or at least he told John that. Yeah. John probably didn't know. Okay. 
So John agrees and gets into Brian's car because oh, he's an wow. idiot. Oh. And it's a Buick with Ohio plates. Ah, uh, okay. John wasn't super familiar with northern Indianapolis, so he was unsure about what the specific location of the home was. He's probably also a little inebriated. Yeah. Uh, but he noted it was an area that had a lot of horse ranches and larger homes. Okay. He also saw, saw some sort of sign at the front of the house where they pulled in and it said farm. Okay. All right. Mm-hmm. So we got a little bit here. Yeah. So once they're up at the driveway and at the house, John described it as being a large Tudor home that was messy and full of boxes and furniture. Yeah. Which is how that home did look. Yeah. Spillover from the thrift shop. Probably. Yeah. Okay. So Brian brings him through the house and down some steps that led to a pool and bar area that had mannequins posed around. (laughs) (laughs) The mannequins! So fucking weird. Oh, it's so strange. So Brian offers John a drink that he declines. Okay. First smart thing that you've done. Yeah. Uh, Brian excuses himself from a room for a bit, comes back much more talkative and alert, and John just assumed he had smoked some coke for, you know, or like a little confidence boost. Oh, yeah. Do you smoke coke? You can, no. or you can snort it. <laughs> I was gonna say. He told the investigator he smoked coke, so I was like, <laughs> I, was like it's, coke? I was like, it's much easier just to snort it. Yeah. Uh, okay. Because Charleston's like the cocaine capital of South Carolina, but... <laughs> Anyway, at some point during this time, Brian asked John about autoerotic asphyxiation. Whoa. That just escalated real quick. Real quick. It went from, do you want a drink, to please choke me. Can I choke you? Can you choke me? Yeah. Oh my. Which is the act of feeling pleasure while either choking or being choked. And asked if John will do that to Brian. Okay. For whatever fucking reason, John goes with it and begins Uh choking Brian with a water hose while he masturbated. John! Nasty. You think that this man has possibly murdered your friend and you're gonna, gonna choke, choke him while he jerks off? Yeah, fucking weird. <laughs> what? <laughs> I know. Could you imagine me in this PI being like, what the fuck is wrong with you? <laughs> hey, he had to get all the information. Yeah. He Gross. had to go along with everything. <laughs> After he finishes, Brian tells John it's his turn and they basically swap places. And as Brian is oh, choking John, no. he can tell that Brian is going not gonna stop choking him so he pretends to pass out and Brian releases his grip. Yeah. When John opened his eyes, he said Brian looked startled and said he was scared because John passed out. (laughs) Brian ends up taking John back into Indianapolis and they agree to meet up again soon. I'm like, are you an idiot? (laughs) Oh, that whole interaction is so strange. So fucking strange. Uh, And Vandegrift wanted to learn some more information on Brian Smart. So he arranged to have the two followed on their next date. But Brian never showed up. So he really was going to meet up with him again. Yeah. But I think he he told him that, but I don't think that they actually had the actual intention (laughs) of meeting up with him. I think he got a bad feeling about it. Yeah. Oh, that's so weird. So Vandegrift believes John's story. And so he reaches out to a detective he used to work with before he retired, Mary Wilson. Okay. Mary took John and drove him around some parts of northern Indianapolis that he seemed to be describing, hoping that he may have recognized the house he was at with Brian, but they didn't come up with anything. Thing. Oh, okay. All right. Uh, so all the trails seem to kind of dry up and get cold. Case is getting colder by the minute until a year later when John runs into Brian by happenstance at the bar. A year? A year. A whole year passed. Mm-hmm. And 
Mr. Virgil has been on the case for 365 days. Yep. He's still looking. Okay. He is actually able to get Brian's license plate number this time, and Detective Wilson finds out the plate is registered to a Herbert Ballmeister. Oh. Weird. A.K.A. Brian Smart. A.K.A. Brian Smart. Okay. Detective Wilson then goes down to the Save-A-Lot store and speaks with Herb. Okay. And she tells him that he's the subject of an investigation into the murders of several men and requests that she should be allowed to search his home. Which, like, I don't know what kind of, like, interrogation strategy she was going with, but, like, wouldn't you not tell someone you think they're a murderer if you want to search their home? Yeah. Like, hey, I think you've killed a lot of people. I you need to see your, me house. see your house. Give me your keys. <laughs> That's really Just, strange. I don't know. I found that strange. <laughs> okay. All right, Mary. Uh, Herb refuses and tells Wilson she can contact his lawyer for all future inquiries. Yeah. Okay. Well, he lawyered up. Good yep. job. Uh, so Detective Wilson then tracks down Juliana and tells her that she suspects her husband and has to search the home. Julie seemed like she was shocked at the news, but didn't know anything about her husband's transgressions, but she declined the search of their home anyway. Okay. I think she had a feeling. Yeah. So. Wilson was unable to get permission to search the house from either Herb or Julie and requested a search warrant from Hamilton County, but they refused, stating there wasn't enough issue to issue one. Yeah, which I didn't realize. You have to have a, you have to have evidence and a suspect in mm-hmm. order to get a search warrant. Yep. I didn't know that was a thing. And you have to have enough evidence and the, just a license plate. Yeah, that's not enough. Yeah, okay. All right. um, so the focus from the police department, the PI firm, the failing business, and marriage seem to take a huge toll on Herb at this time. Well, yeah, there's a lot going on here. Yeah. And he starts rapidly declining over the next six months. Okay. Yeah. The Save-A-Lot stores were in trouble. The Children's Bureau that they had actually partnered with canceled their contract with stores, and the family was on the verge of bankruptcy. Oh, boy. So he's uh he's starting to scramble. Cause, yes. Because shit's going Yeah. Bad. He's not mentally stable at this point. Oh, boy. All uh, right. Julia stressed the fuck out and doesn't know what to do. And yeah. keep in mind, it was only two years ago that her son found the skeleton in the woods behind the family's house. And she had just recently spoke with Detective Wilson about her husband being a potential serial killer. Yeah. So, like, that's uh, so weird that they found a human skeleton. And why didn't you call the cops? <laughs> they didn't call anybody. Yeah. <laughs> so Julie's loyalty to her uh, husband is uh, starting to falter a little bit. Yeah. And Detective Wilson knows this. So... Uh-huh. Uh, Julie decides her best course of action for herself and the kids is to file for divorce and tell Detective Wilson about the skeleton her son Eric found two years prior. Yeah. And to allow them to search the entire property since Eric and Herb were both out of the house visiting Herb's mom. Uh, okay. So she's bringing them over while they're out of town. Uh, yes. Okay. She's like, this is the, my best chance to yeah. get his ass. If, if he did something, he'll be caught. If he didn't, oh well. Yeah. Okay. So on June 24th, 1996, the search ensues. Oh boy. As Wilson and three county officers show up to the home they walk up to the patio where there's like a grassy area and as they look a little closer they see some gravel which was actually human bone fragments and they thought it was gravel Gravel. the kids all thought it was gravel (laughs) julie thought it was gravel and it's bone shards yep and apparently herb's kids actually played there very regularly (gasps) according to julie no they just thought it was gravel oh my yeah your kids are playing on the bones of a murdered men yeah murdered gay men (laughs) so on june 25th uh, is when the excavation starts there were bones everywhere on the property and somewhere in the neighbor's property too and these are not small properties like their theirs alone was 18 acres so the neighbors weren't exactly right next door either and they 
they also had large yards. Yeah. So the early part of the search, they found 5,500 bone fragments and teeth. So keep in mind, there's 206 bones in the body and 32 teeth. And it seemed like none of them were all like full bones. They were all fragments. 5,500 mm-hmm. pieces. Yeah. Just shredded bone fragments and teeth. How is he doing? Well, I guess you'll tell me, but this is, this is crazy. Yeah. <laughs> Oh my god. All right. uh, forensics estimated that the bones belonged to around 11 men and four were able to, to be identified. Uh, one, oh so god. the four that were able to be identified were Roger Goodlett, okay. who would have been 34 at the time, yeah. Stephen Hale, who would have been 26, uh, Richard Hamilton, who would have been 20, and Manuel Resendez, who would have been 31. Oh my Okay. So. I'm surprised that they were able to ID these four. Yeah, I think it, well, probably the teeth helped. Maybe uh, some of them were able to, like, make a full, like, skeleton with the teeth and okay. identify from dental records. All right. So, Herb has no idea any of this is going on. Yeah, because he and his son are out of town. Yeah, they're out of town. He's, no, he's not a fucking clue. <laughs> oh, no. And Julie probably knew that there was at least one victim on the property, judging by the skeleton Eric had found two years prior. Yeah. But she had no idea the police were going to uncover what they did, and she starts fearing for Eric's safety and doesn't want Herb to hurt him, and so does Detective Wilson. She's uh, like, listen, I'm a little worried. Yeah. This is a lot more than we intended on finding. we got to get your son away from your husband. Yeah. So, Damn. the two of them decide the best course of action is to serve Herb with custody papers and get Eric away from him before the discovery of all the bodies on their property hit the news. Uh, so they're kind of on a time crunch here. How long were they going to be gone for? I don't know. It didn't say. It sounds like it's they've summertime, been gone for though. a while. It's summertime, though, so I would assume maybe like a week or two, like yeah. they were just visiting. Huh, okay. So Herb gets served the papers and turns over Eric without any incident. He just assumed it was, like, some legal stuff going on with the divorce. And he doesn't want to, like... Oh, okay. You're right. Okay. Yeah, and Julie's not there for him to argue with, so he's like, yeah, whatever, take the kid. Yeah, okay. So the boneyard hits the news, and Herb fucking books it. Of course he does. Yes. On July 3rd, uh, Herb's body was discovered uh, at Pinary what? Park in Ontario, Canada. Canada. Day. What? Yep. Herb was found uh, inside his car with a gunshot wound to the head. Uh, oh! my god which is why we don't know how he uh grinded down bone fragments damn that's fucked up yep i did not think that that was gonna happen yep shit uh there was a three-page suicide note left along the side of his body stating he took his life because of his failed business and marriage he didn't mention any of the victims found in his own backyard So did he never even, nope. we never even got a, a no confession tri- out of him. No confession, no trial, no nothing. He killed himself. That's fucked up. Mm-hmm. Oh my God. So after getting help from Julie and the Indianapolis PD, the task force that was working on the Ohio I-70 murders were actually able to piece together evidence that linked Herb to those crimes as well. Ah. And Julie was able to provide receipts showing Herb on I-70 at the time of the murders when the bodies were discovered. Yep. Damn. So that was what, four people? And then there was 11 people at his house? 11 at his house. And then- 15 uh, people? A lot of people. At, at least. Uh, mm-hmm. Oh, my. So the bodies stopped appearing on I-70 when the family moved into their new home because Herb had endless space to then hide the bodies in the crimes. He didn't uh, need to spread them out all over the highway anymore. Okay. So Herb had a total of 11 confirmed victims and a potential 23 more that he's suspected of committing. Oh, my God. That's so crazy. And I've actually got, like, a recent update on this case from uh, January 18th, 2023. Oh, shit. Yep. Okay. Real recent. Right. An article was written by a local news channel in Westfield, Indiana, okay. talking about the FBI committing to giving a huge influx of cash to the Hamilton County PD in order to identify the other bodies found on Herb's property. Oh, okay. Uh, this is good. Yes. The money is coming from a SACI grant, which is a cold case sexual assault grant. Oh. 
Oh, interesting. Okay. Mm -hmm. Since the county lab is stretched thin for money and resources, they're going to outsource all the DNA matching to private labs and will utilize DNA samples voluntarily given as well as genealogy sites, which is pretty common now for running DNA comparisons. Oh, okay. Uh, It apparently costs like several thousands of dollars per match to send this stuff out. So County Coroner Jellison is very thankful to have the extra resources provided by the FBI. Yeah, I'll say. Which is fucking awesome. Uh, They were actually able to already match one of the DNA samples, and Jellison was able to deliver that news in person. Really? Isn't that awesome? And that just happened this year. This year. Ah, damn. Less than four months ago. Okay, cool. So the county pulled out a plea to get the family members that would have had a member in the boneyard potentially, you know, donate their DNA for comparison, and they've already received 31 samples immediately, and one of them even got sent from Alaska. Whoa. That's wild. I know. Isn't that cool? That is really neat. Uh, they need to do that with, like, I mean, I know it's super expensive and time-consuming, but, but they need to do that with all these cold cases. I know. Especially, like, you got gene- uh, the genealogy... Jesus Christ. <laughs> genealogy <laughs> websites. Yes. Yeah. The, the All the ones you can send your DNA off to. Didn't you do that? I did. Yeah. Ancestry DNA. Yeah. I got it uh, for Whitney and I. It was, like, a Christmas gift. They do, uh-huh. like, a... Like, buy one, get one free. So, I mean, Whitney oh. did those. Oh, okay. They update it real pretty recently, too. Like, they'll, like, send you updates and say, like, oh, yeah, your stuff is more accurate now. Please oh. check in. Blah, 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 blah. It's pretty cool. Interesting. Okay. Cool. All right. Well, that was pretty crazy. Yeah. Uh, don't trust... Uh, don't trust a cr- hoe. Creepy. <laughs> don't trust a hoe. <laughs> uh, random strangers you meet at the bar. Yeah. Creepy the name Herb. <laughs> yeah. Herb. Baumeister. Her so Baumeister. Well. Sounds like a just a... Killed 15 people. At least. Yes, yeah, it sounds like a grumpy old man that <laughs> wants kids off his lawn. But no, yeah. he was actually a cold-blooded murderer. Oh, man. Okay. Well, thanks for that. Oh, you're welcome. <laughs> you got any fun facts? Um, so I am don't not donating. What was what's the word? Donating. Not donating. I don't know. Well, What's this one is in honor of Whitney, because oh. Whitney is from Ohio, which oh. is where some of these bodies were found. And Whitney's favorite thing ever from Ohio is Gold Star Chili, <laughs> which I know that it's very controversial, but she prefers Gold Star Chili over Skyline Chili. Versus Skyline. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know why, but <laughs> it's a thing. Uh, the noodles are different. It's a thing. So got some fun facts on Gold Star Chili. Okay. Let's do it. So it is uh, the official chili of the Cincinnati Bengals. Uh, ooh, that's fun. Yep. So like Joe Shiesty loves him some Gold Star. <laughs> okay. Um, it's actually a restaurant chain that was based in Cincinnati. Yeah. And it sells the Cincinnati Chili. Okay. The original restaurant was actually supposed to be a burger restaurant, but they had chili as one of their menu items and the chili became really popular because they just kept improving the recipe so eventually it just became a chili restaurant oh so the chili outshined the burger pretty much which okay it just seems weird i don't want chili (laughs) in spaghetti noodles like it's just i don't understand uh but it was uh founded by four brothers uh who were immigrants from jordan oh that's fun Mm -hmm. and it was originally named hamburger heaven (laughs) which sounds like hamburger helper yeah, I like that. That's fun. Yeah, I thought that was a... Uh, yeah. Oh, goodness. Uh, oh, but was there one? Uh, there's a bunch of, like, uh, you know, stories about <laughs> fucking Cincinnati Reds baseball players loving the shit <laughs> out of Star Gold Star Chili. Chili. <laughs> but I just, I did not know that it was originally a uh, hamburger restaurant yeah. that turned into a chili restaurant. I thought that was pretty cool. That's fun. I, I wonder like if Herb ever got drunk and took some of his victims to Gold Star to get some chili. I guarantee that happened. Because it was founded by the time he was, you know, or, killing or, all these people. <laughs> or if he took his mannequins with him. <laughs> oh, my God. Just got four mannequins Packed in the back. In the car. Yeah, I would like uh, some chili dogs, please. Thank you. <laughs> and he just places them on the mannequin's lap. Yes. 
Here's your meal. Oh, man. Oh, that's so crazy. I think it's shitty that he never admitted to it. I'm like, why did you kill yourself then? Yeah, he took the coward's way out. Uh, I mean, clearly he did it. Mm-hmm. He did, he definitely did it. Ah, oh, that is frustrating, though. I hate... I wonder if Julie and them that. had to move. I would have. I wouldn't want to stay in Indianapolis, no. like, knowing that my husband killed, like, potentially, like, 30 people. Yeah. No, there's no way. Espe- uh, could you imagine their kids, like, realizing one day that they were playing on top of... <laughs> on top of human bones. bones. Oh, my God. Yeah, and we'll never know how he was chopping them up. Yeah, I have no idea. Or grinding I, them? I don't know what to even... Because he would have had to dispose of bodies, too, and then waited for them to decompose fully. Yeah, and then... And then chop the bones up or something. Huh. I don't know. It's very strange. I hated it. It was nasty. <laughs> Very nasty. Yeah. Oh my god. Well, thanks for that. Um, and thanks for hanging out. Oh, we have an Instagram. <laughs> yes. Before you go, you should give us a follow on Instagram. Uh, yeah. At hashtag murderpod. Spell out hashtag. Yes. And you'll find us there. Um, you can send us a DM there. Give mm-hmm. us some requests for episodes. Comment on our post and what you think about the story. Yeah. Give us suggestions for what you want to hear covered. Yeah, we'll take it all. Scarlet shares a bunch of memes. There's Oh, there's pictures of our beautiful puppies and oh, cat no. on there. All of our, our babies are podcasting. Yes. Yeah, they're very sweet. And if you really liked this episode, leave us a five-star review yeah. on Spotify, Apple, or wherever you get your lovely podcasts. Yeah, five stars. Let's let's hear it. And if you don't like us, that's fine. You probably didn't make it this far. No, probably um. didn't make it to the end, so that's fine. <laughs> uh, but yeah, we'd appreciate it. Uh, well, thanks for hanging out. And we'll catch you next week. Yes. All right, love you. Bye. Bye. Bye-bye. Don't trust weird gay men. I don't know. Don't choke yourself with a water hose. Bye. <laughs> Thank you for listening to Hashtag Murder. Episodes are written and edited by Alex Lewis and Scarlett Hipton. Our intro and outro music is written and played by Derek Branton. Our cover art is by the lovely Lauren Walker. And our name was created by the most wonderful, supportive, and super hot boyfriend, Dustin Branton. We hope you've enjoyed your time with us. And if you have any questions, comments, concerns, or ideas, you can reach us at hashtag murderpod at gmail.com. That's H-A-S-H-T-A-G murderpod at gmail.com. And don't forget to tell all of your friends about us. Thanks. Bye. In evi- or you have in evidence. And he starts to take a huge, uh, blah, blah, blah. Uh, and back to that house, they would be in like different positions. Like I'd go over there one month and they'd look one way and then I'd go over the next month and they'd be moved. And just it- lawn ornaments, you know? <laughs> so weird. Okay. All right. Keep going. Hold on. Pause. My boss is calling me. Oh, Lord. Hello, Whitney Lulu. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> no, that is Scarlet. We're recording. <laughs> oh, sorry. I've like literally lost my voice and so I can't talk. Oh. <laughs> Okay, have fun, honey. Yeah, I'm still planning on the one, the one, and like I said, I might get a second, but I don't know. Okay, that's fine. <laughs> uh, hi, Wit. Bye, love you.